In message one, we began to see the two steps of reconciliation. And these two steps uh, contain and express the divinely revealed truth concerning what Christ our Lord has done for us. In the, for the first step of reconciliation, Christ died for our sins. That God, according to his righteousness, must now forgive us of our sins because Christ already paid the price for them, experienced the judgment for them, for our sake. And it is a great and wonderful matter that we have been reconciled to God from our sins. But as we are beginning to understand more and more, there is a second step and that is, Christ died for us, for the old man, that is, for the fallen human being in every aspect. He died for us, and when he died, we died. We were crucified with Christ. so that we may be reconciled directly to God and be not only and not mainly just in the holy of holies, experiencing God's blessings, enjoying his blessings, we may now enter into God in Christ to enjoy God himself directly. Then we saw in message two that these two steps of reconciliation are portrayed by the two veils in the tabernacle. So the first veil was for the entrance into the holy place. And Christ died for our sins that we may be in the holy place, enjoying the life supply and the blessings. The second veil separates the holy place from the holy of holies. And that veil signifies the flesh that had to be torn, rent, broken. And Christ died for this. And what he accomplished on the cross concerning this, now through the Spirit, must be applied to our being. That we will experience the rending, the breaking, 
of the veil so that we may go through this torn veil into the Holy of Holies. And in a way, this is the most crucial point in the entire conference. Why do I say that? I say it because this point that we need to experience the rending, the breaking of the second veil, it's, everything depends on this. There are dear saints that have been in the recovery longer than I have. More than 54, 56 years. The second veil has still not been broken. And there are other dear saints that were willing to receive the application of the cross to rend the second veil in them. And Brother Lee and some others were patterns to us of this kind of Christian life. In messages three and now in four, and then in five, we will consider the issues, the results of the second step of reconciliation. And seeing these results at first in our spirit, in our intuition, this may motivate us and encourage us to be willing to go on. But it's possible during the entire length, the entire course of our life on earth, we may not experience the second step of reconciliation. And my heart, and obviously immeasurably more God's heart, is for all of us to pass through the second veil. But on our part, we need to be willing, we need to be open, and we need to present ourselves to the Lord under the light of life and the light in the word and tell him in simple prayers, Lord, I want to be thoroughly reconciled to you. In message three, we saw the first result was the enjoyment of God, the direct enjoyment of God himself. And then we also saw the issue of this second step of reconciliation is that in Christ we become the righteousness of God. Both of these are indescribably wonderful issues, results of the second step 
of reconciliation. And eventually, all the believers will arrive at this point of being in the Holy of Holies, in God through Christ, enjoying all that God is. And eventually all the believers will become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not a question of whether or not this will happen, but when we will allow it to happen. And I say the word allow. Why? Because we have a will to make decisions. I don't mean the power of our will. That's useless in divine things. But we're not puppets. We're not robots. We're human beings with a will to make decisions. And God moves after we make this decision. Yes, Lord, reconcile me thoroughly. But if we don't do that, if we're passive, then nothing happens. Now we go on in message four to consider two more aspects of the issue the result of the second step of reconciliation. Living to the Lord. Not living for the Lord. And not merely living with the Lord. Or through the Lord. Or by the Lord. All these are included. But we need to consider seriously, thoughtfully, this very crucial expression, living to the Lord. And then the other issue we'll consider is being enlarged in our heart. To be sure, we're not talking about the health of our physical heart, but of our, you could say, psychological heart for, uh, that is a matter of the soul, the psyche, mind, emotion, and will, plus our conscience. So now let's look into these two aspects of the issue. Roman numeral one, Christ died for our sins that we may be forgiven. Dear ones, please realize with full assurance your sins have been forgiven. And Christ died for us 
so that we may live to him. And I'd like to read again the relevant verses on living to him found in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. The love of Christ constrains us because we have judged this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. And he died for all, that those who live, that is, live in Christ as resurrection life, no longer live to themselves, but to him who died for them and has been raised. Now, at the beginning of verse 14, we read something just delightful. The love of Christ constrains us. Because we are not robots or puppets, God never forces us to do something we don't want to do or have not decided to do. But when he senses a willingness in us, then there is this tremendous flow of love. The love of Christ. Mentioned in Galatians 2.20, Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for us because he loves us. He loves us. While we were yet sinners, Paul says in Romans 5, Christ died for us. And now in our life with him, at certain times, he may release just a tide, a flow of love, like a strong river, and just carries us along where we want to be. We want to be one with God. We want to be in God. We want to enjoy God. And the Lord knows this. And then he constrains us. The love of Christ constrains us. Because there's a cause here and an effect. We have judged this. We realize something. Well, what is it we realize? One died for all. That one is Christ. He died for all. Romans 6, 6 again. Do you not know that our old man was crucified 
with Christ. Christ died for all. Therefore, all died. Brothers and sisters, please spend some time with this verse. Reading it with a praying spirit. And pray reading. Not just mechanically repeating, but praying it personally. Lord, your love constrains me. Lord, constrain me. I need this to go on. Lord, train me. Disciple me to judge something. Not like a judge in the court judging, but coming to a conclusion. Lord, you died for us all. We all died. Lord, I have died already. Paul expressed this on our behalf. My old man is dead. You crucified him. I, the old I, was crucified with you. Since we have died, Lord, since I have died, I don't want to live a contradiction and go back and live according to the old man and the self. Then verse 15, he died for all for a reason that those who live, not physically live here, but those who are living as children of God, who have been born of God, they may no longer live to themselves. No longer. These words need to be inscribed, written on our heart. It should be part of our testimony, an element in our being. Uh, words that our inner being, not audibly, but nevertheless are saying, I am a no longer person. I was a certain kind of person. I lived in a certain way. And that was just for myself. Myself was the center. Myself was the goal. Myself was the leader. Everything was through the self, by the self, with the self, in the self, for the self. But now there's a no longer. I have died. When Christ was resurrected, I was resurrected. We all were. Ephesians 2, 6, 5 and 6. And now, I choose to live to him. 
And then Paul says again, the one who died for us and has been raised. So now with these verses as the basis, we come to the subpoints in this outline, A under 1. Christ's death not only saves us from death, that is spiritual death, so that we do not need to die, but also causes us through his resurrection to live no longer to ourselves, but to him. So it is through his resurrection life that the Lord is causing us to stop living to ourselves, but to live to him. And the love of Christ is constraining us, carrying us along. So we have the love of Christ and Christ as the resurrection life based on his death on the cross for us. Leading us, guiding us to no longer live to ourselves. But from now on to live to him. Now we have some definitions. One, to live to ourselves means that we are under our own control and direction and that we care for our own aims and goals. How can we build up the organic body of Christ in all the local churches if most of the saints are still living to themselves. To live to ourselves means we're under our own control. I decide. I want my will to be done. I want my desires to be fulfilled. I will direct my life. If I'm a young man who wants to get married, the Lord will not decide this. I will do it. I have an ideal image in my mind about what kind of sister I want. And I will find her and I will choose her for me. And I have my own aims. When I hear saints talk about their career, that indicates to me they have an aim in the world. They don't want to just develop and advance in their line of work like Daniel did. 
they excel in their profession or trade or their responsibilities. This is honorable. This is Daniel. But no, they want glory. They want money. They want position. They want power. That's my career. I want to be somebody. So then the self has its own goals. This is what I want to accomplish in my life. This is what I want to obtain and attain. Then now we have quite a contrast in point two. To live to the Lord means that we are under the Lord's control and direction. This is our actual living now. Those who have been reconciled to God in the second step live under the Lord's control and direction. So I can testify to you. Some of you know a little bit of this. Almost five years ago, the sister with whom I had been married for a very long time was taken to be with the Lord. Now I'm here in rather good health. And not knowing, what do I do now? How do I live now? And some dear ones have some suggestions and opinions and feelings. And I asked them, please, just just stop. And I told them, I myself have no plan, no goal. I'm here living for the will of God. In this matter, Dear ones, in this time of grief and anguish and sorrow and loneliness, deep within, but also practically, I was living to the Lord. And he controlled the next step, stage of my life. He directed my actions and he brought this lovely sister and me together from another part of the earth. And she also was living to him. There's a no longer being written. I'm still learning, still being reconciled. This is real. Dear single brothers and sisters, and especially brothers, because you're the ones that should take the lead and take action. Concerning getting married, concerning your family after you're married, will you live 
to yourself? Or according to certain cultures, will you live to what your parents demand for you? Will you be directing yourself? Or can you simply say, Lord, I've given myself to you. In this matter of marriage and then family life, I live to you. You, Lord, control my life. Lord, direct my life in every way. Lord, I want to satisfy you and fulfill your purpose. I want to live to you that is under your control and direction in such a way that you are satisfied with me. And now, this was Paul's desire in 2 Corinthians 5.19. Therefore, also we are determined, whether at home or abroad, to gain the honor of being well-pleasing to God and to fulfill his purpose. Would it not be just a great blessing and a wonderful experience if you would stand before the Son of Man on that day for judgment. And he said to you, I died for you. You knew I, you died with me. And you lived to me. You satisfied me. And your life contributed to the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. Welcome to the wedding feast, to the joy of your master. This is what reconciled persons do. This is how they live. And the more they experience this, the more they want to advance more and more. B, living to the Lord is deeper in significance than living for the Lord. Living for the Lord is not wrong. Doing something for the Lord is not wrong. Living for the Lord implies that I and the Lord are still two. So you are there, and I love you. I want to do something for you. So I have an idea and a feeling of something I want to do for you. So I hope the dear Korean-speaking saints will not be troubled. I'm using this illustration I visited there many, many times in the last 19, 20 years. I love them. 
I enjoy Korean barbecue. But the Koreans have their own fondness for something called kimchi. Maybe I'll change, but I just don't like kimchi. So suppose I go there again sometime with my wife and some sisters, they want to do something for me. They say, Brother Ron, we love you. We have made kimchi for you. Kimchi for breakfast, kimchi for lunch, kimchi for dinner, kimchi for a snack. Well, I appreciate their loving heart. But if they really knew my inner being, they would prepare food to me. That is, they would be governed by what is in my heart, what I like and what I'd rather not have. This is a radical different way of living. How will we live for the remainder of our time? Just for the Lord? Doing things that we assume he wants? He may not. We're here doing something for him there. Living to the Lord indicates that I am one with the Lord. As a wife is one with the husband in married life. So when we're one with the Lord, we know what the Lord desires, what he wants. We're governed by that. We're one with him. And now we have, at point B, a scripture reference from Romans 14, 7 to 8. And I'd like to spend a little time here because these are really precious verses. For none of us lives to himself, and none dies to himself. Whether we live, we live to the Lord, and whether we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. In order to live to the Lord, as the issue of the second step of reconciliation, we need to realize we are not our own. We have been bought with a price, the precious blood 
of Jesus, the Lamb of God. And we have consecrated ourselves to the Lord. We are not our own. So whether we live, we live to the Lord. And recently, within the last year, some very dear co-worker brothers died to the Lord. And we were sorrowful and even shocked when we learned of this brother being received by the Lord. But these brothers lived to the Lord. The Lord knows to what extent. And we believe died to the Lord. Whatever our situation is, brothers and sisters, we are the Lord's. To the Lord. Governed and directed by the Lord. This is not a mere requirement like in the law. This is a description of the living of a believer who has been reconciled to God in the second step. Then point C says, living to the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5 is equal to walking according to the Spirit in Romans 8. So when we walk according to the Spirit, that is the actual living to the Lord day by day. Now, Roman numeral 2, to be fully reconciled to God will cause us to be enlarged in our hearts. And I read... um, 2 Corinthians 5.20 again, and then go to chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. On behalf of Christ, then, we are ambassadors. As God entreats you through us, we beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, we see that being reconciled to God in the second step has a deep, lasting effect on our inner being, on our heart. When we are living to ourselves, doing everything by the self, for the self, our heart is very narrow, very small, because it's the self. The heart is for the self. But we know the prayer for those who have been reconciled to God in the first step, Paul's prayer. 
concerning Christ making his home in our heart. God so loved the world. This is God's heart. God loves all of us. That's his heart. But this is what Paul said now in chapter 6, verses 11, 12, and 13. Our mouth is open to you, Corinthians. Our heart is enlarged. His open mouth to speak the word of the Lord was an expression of of his enlarged heart. Some in Corinth were judging him, criticizing him, even accusing him of certain bad things in his behavior. But Paul was not shaken by that. He was not moved by that. Because his heart was large. You're my spiritual children. I brought you to the Lord. I'm full of love for you. I'm speaking to you with my open mouth from my enlarged heart. Verse 12. You are not constricted in us. But you are constricted in your inward parts. Constricted means to be severely limited, confined. And so a constricted person would say, I don't love that kind of people, that race, that country. The way they speak, that social class, we're higher. They're way down there. Constricted. Narrow. Small in heart. We know from Ephesians 4.16, the body builds itself up in love. In Christ, we need to be willing and able to be built up anywhere he places us with whomever he arranges us to be. But Paul could say honestly to the Corinthians, you are constricted inwardly. In your mind, it's so small, so narrow. Your emotions, even worse, What kind of love is that? It's not the love for all the believers the same? As Paul said in Philippians, love one another with the same love? There's bias. There's prejudice. But, verse 13, we're a recompense in kind I speak also as to children. 
you also be enlarged. Okay? Verse 520. Be reconciled. Verse 613. Be enlarged. A large number of you dear saints in Brazil who have been in some kind of church life many years ago were under a certain kind of hierarchical authoritarian control and have responded to the Lord's shepherding to participate in the recovery of the genuine church life, Christian life? Is there room in your heart for all the believers that you know, including those that are still following that degraded situation? When our heart is enlarged, That's a sign we have been reconciled to God. I say again, God so loved the world, the entire human race, that he gave his only begotten son. And so may the Lord plant in our inward parts the desire to be enlarged in our heart. A, how large our heart is depends on the degree of our reconciliation to God. And so there's no point in trying to pretend to put on an artificial smile to try to say, oh, we... We're just open to anyone. When the Lord knows, the word says, God searches the hearts. He knows. He would say no. You need more reconciliation. Be narrowness of heart is a strong indication that we have been reconciled to God only partially. And that the percentage of our salvation is quite low. So that's an indicator. It's possible for saints to deceive themselves. They just think, oh no, I love everyone, any kind of person, any kind of believer. But those who have been reconciled much more and are living to the Lord more, they can just discern, no, no. Your heart is narrow. Just the things you say about certain people and situations shows. Your heart is narrow out of the abundance of the heart Out of the condition of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, if we are able to forgive an offense and then forget it, that is a sign that we have become an enlarged person. 
a person with a large heart. Now, in ourselves, in our natural life, we're not able to forgive an offense and then forget it. We just can't. But if we have become a person with a large heart, we can forgive and we can forget. We don't have a record in our mind. Oh, I remember he said this 27 years ago and he did that 21 years ago and all along the line. Or a sister who's a wife just remembers, oh, my husband did this, he said that and this and that and this and that. Then there's an argument and then all of this comes out. You did that. You did that. You were like that. You're always like that. That's the sign of a small heart. Even in married life. Small heart. In the church life, we need an enlarged heart as the issue of being reconciled to God. D. In order to be strict with ourselves and not with others, we need to be enlarged. Those who are strict are usually narrow as well. And thus they need to have their hearts enlarged. One principle of the reality of the kingdom is that we are strict with ourselves. But we uh, are not strict with others. But some that by in their disposition in themselves, they're very strict. I, I just do this every day and this is the situation. And you should do the same. Do what I do. No mercy, no compassion, no loving concern, just judgment. They're constricted and their heart is narrow. But when the heart is enlarged, we are strict with ourselves. I did this, Lord, there's no excuse. I repent of this, forgive me. But then we see saints doing a similar thing. We're not strict with them. We minister life to them. A few years ago, I felt I needed to apologize to one co-worker for the way I said something. I was convicted by the Lord. And I went up to him and I said, Brother so-and-so, I just want to apologize and say I'm sorry for the way I expressed this. And right away, life flowed out of him, love flowed out of him. He said, I, for, I forgive this, I forgive you, and I forget right away. And he did. 
He's not just saying words. He had an enlarged heart because he's a reconciled person. E, now we use Solomon as an illustration, King Solomon. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. God gave Solomon wisdom and very much understanding and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. So God's people are just like the sand on the seashore. And now Solomon's heart is enlarged by God to match this, the same as the sand that is on the seashore. Includes every grain. Our heart should include every believer, wherever they are, whoever they are. This is an enlarged heart. And if we want to be co-kings with the Lord in the millennial kingdom, we need this kind of heart. Eventually, we need to have a heart to love all kinds of people all over the earth. Now, the subpoints here. Wisdom and largeness of heart are two aspects of one thing. The secret of wisdom is to have a large heart. To a certain extent, I, I follow what's going on in society, in the U.S., in the government. You listen to certain politicians. They're such fools. They're so foolish. What they're saying is just irrational, unreasonable. Because their heart is so small. If we want to have wisdom... Christ as wisdom, we need an enlarged heart. Two, those who are wise have a large heart. But those who have a narrow heart are foolish. Now, we will never call anyone a fool. No, we will not do that. We're not here judging anyone. But there's the discernment to realize and what this person did was so foolish. And then time proved that. Eventually he or she realized such a serious mistake. I was so unwise. Why? Because the heart is small. Three, when a person is narrow and his heart is narrow, it is easy for him to be proud. Pride is the expression of the narrowness of a person. Surely none of us wants to have this characteristic in the church life. There's just no place for pride. 
That's satanic. That's devilish. That's from the satanic element in the self. But when the heart is enlarged, all the glory goes to God. We want nothing for ourselves. We take no credit for anything. We don't expect to be honored and appreciated by anyone. Now the last section are a series of contrasts. And I'll simply read them. We need to be impressed with the contrast between the narrowness of heart and largeness of heart. One, narrowness of heart, not forgiving another party unless and until he repents. I will not forgive him. He needs to come to me and humble himself and apologize to me. Then I will forgive him. That's a narrow heart. Largeness of heart. Having the loving and forgiving heart of our Father God. Two, narrowness of heart. Caring for our own things. Largeness of heart. Caring for the things of Christ Jesus. And in Philippians 2, Paul told the Philippians, I'm sending to you Timothy. He will care for you. He is the only one that I know that will really care for you, the things of Christ. All the others are just concerned with their own things. That's what's first. That's a narrow heart, a large heart. You care for the things of Christ Jesus. Three, narrowness of heart, caring for individual spirituality, largeness of heart, caring for the church. Four, narrowness of heart, having a heart only for certain believers and churches, largeness of heart, having a heart for all believers and all churches, no matter what their condition may be. We're talking about the churches in the Lord's recovery. We don't love one believer more than another. We don't love one church more than another. That's an enlarged heart. Five, narrowness of heart. Caring for our local church more than for the body of Christ. Largeness of heart. Caring more for the body of Christ than for our local church. We care for our church, but first we care for the body. And our local church is an expression of the body which we care for first. And six, narrowness of heart, caring for our own work, largeness of heart, caring for the building up of the body of Christ to consummate the new Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, 
I really look to the Lord and hope that the spirit of reality will guide you into the reality of these points of living to the Lord. May the Lord dispense into us the desire, the longing, no longer to live to ourselves, but to live to the Lord. If so, if we live to the Lord, he will control our life, he will direct our steps, we will desire to be pleasing to him, do his will, fulfill his purpose. And then surely we don't want to be a person our whole life constricted and narrow with a small heart, with all the aspects of a small heart that we saw on this outline. And there are many more. Rather, we should have the desire and the prayer. Lord, reconcile me to yourself thoroughly so that I will have an enlarged heart. Lord, make me, make all the saints, this kind of person. So this cannot happen in one day. Being reconciled to God in the second step is a process. What is crucial is that we are in this process day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year. Only the Lord knows if and or when I will be able to be with you in person in Brazil. I long to be with you. But I can say honestly before the Lord, I believe that when I see you again, whenever that may be, you surely will be more reconciled to God than you are at the present moment. And you will be enjoying God more. You will be becoming the righteousness of God in Christ more. You will be living to the Lord more and more. And your heart will be enlarged. And I look to the Lord to continue doing the same thing in me. Because he is the master. Along with you, I'm a disciple, a learner, a believer, a child of God, a member of the body, with a longing to be thoroughly reconciled to God.